My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. The sermon title this morning is Testing. We'll be looking primarily from the text in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. The story of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac is a story that sounds fairly terrible to modern ears. And the reason for this, I believe, is because we often read it with anachronistic sunglasses. In other words, we carry the weight of modern assumptions about culture, about morality, about God into our reading of the biblical story. And when we read scripture with anachronistic lenses, we wind up bringing back into the scripture things that scripture does not support or things that scripture does not say or weigh in on. The idea of God testing anyone is foreign to us because We've swallowed the idea that God never asks anything of us other than what we are already willing to give. But if we're only willing to give what we already have, then what kind of relationship do we even have with God? It's not going to be a relationship of love, trust, or loyalty in our complete and utter dependence on Him and on His grace. Rather, we have a relationship based on convenient Convenience, what's convenient for us, our availability, and what we think that we can gain. And when I think about the testing of Abraham, we have to like, realize right from the beginning right, that God is not a monster. God is not saying, how far can I push this guy before he gives up? God is not saying, how extreme can we make this challenge for him, right? This isn't like, this show's long gone, but this isn't cosmic fear factor, right? Can Abraham sit in a bucket of cockroaches for 10 minutes, right? That's not what this is. This is an extreme challenge. When God tests, it is not out of wickedness. When God tests... It is not out of spite. When God tests, it is not out of anger. The testing of God is something that's very different. It's not, let's just throw everything up in the air and see what happens. That's not what's going on here. When we are tested, well, I should say when Abraham is tested, and we are tested as well, but I'll talk more about that later. Testing in this, in this context is more of, shall we say, a refinement. A refinement. One of the great pictures that we see in Scripture, one of the metaphors that we get throughout the Scriptures is this concept of the purifying fire, right? Metal, like kind of metalworking. This idea of that there are in materials things that need to be taken out, things that need to be removed, and the only way that we can take them out is through, is through purging them. 
right? And, and this is even true of like, of, of there's certain water, right, that you, you can't just drink. Like you have to take it and you have to boil it to kill if there's any bacteria or something like that in there. You have to boil it to kill it to make it safe for drinking. I think that that is a, a better example when we think of test, when we think of God testing Abraham specifically, this is what we should be thinking of. Refinement, not, I wonder what he's going to do. Maybe let's ask him to do this and see if he does it. And so when we read the story of Abraham, we have to replace this story here into its overarching context, right? Abraham, he's asked to leave his home, his culture, everything. Right? He lives in the city. He's asked to leave the city life behind and all the benefits that come with living in an area with lots of people. That's where trade is. It's the seed of culture. And God says, get up and become a wandering nomad. I want you to go to a place that once you leave, I'll then start telling you where to go. God doesn't even tell him where to go. God just says, just says get your family and get out. And shockingly, Abraham does. And we know that the main theme throughout his life is, is this lack of descendants, right? God says, I'm going to make of you, Abraham, a great nation. And Abraham says, no, God, you can't. I don't have any kids. Like my servant, I think his servant's name was Eleazar. My servant will inherit everything after I'm gone. And God's like, no, I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham's like, yes, Lord, I believe it. And then <laughs> to kind of help God along in the process, what does he do? He takes Hagar and has a child with her, Ishmael. Trying to help God. And this is, see, this is the tension in the Abraham story, right? Abraham is his great man of faith. He is a man of faith because he listens to God. But throughout his life, we see him trying to help God along a little bit. Or we see him not trusting in what God has told him he would do for him, right? God says, everyone who blesses you, I will bless. Everyone who curses you, I will curse, right? We have this promise that God will be with him. But when he gets to, to, to places like Egypt, he's like, oh, Sarah, they might want her for her. I'm going to say she's my sister. That way, you know, nothing bad will happen to me. Right? He always tries to, to help God along a little bit, try to make things happen, try to be a little sneaky. And all of that leads to this point. All of that leads to this point. Years have gone by, right, since God initially promised him an heir to when he finally receives Isaac. And then when he finally receives the promised son that he's been waiting for, for years, he finally receives the son. God says, to, God asks him to lay it down. Bring your son and offer him up. Everything he ever wanted, everything he was ever promised, everything he was waiting for, God says to give it back to me, to lay it down in obedience to me. And that's where we find ourselves here in this story. And shockingly, Abraham does. And most biblical scholars, when they look at this story, Isaac is not a little boy in this story. He's, he seems to be a little bit older because he's able to carry a lot of gear, right? Abraham is an old man, can't really carry a lot. Isaac's able to carry um, the wood and, and, and other things that they were going to use. 
And a good a friend of mine, he's not a good friend. He's a friend of mine. He, I, I've heard, I've been listening to him teach through this story, and he talks about how sometimes what we tend to do in the biblical stories, in the Abraham stories, he says, is we try to over psychologize the people in the story. Have you ever heard preaching like that? They try to get in their minds. What was Abraham thinking on the way to the mountain? Right? And you can get a good sermon out of that, right? As they drew closer, right? Maybe he felt the weight of it more and more, right? And people who are better preachers than me might be able to do like a really good job of like talking about the building tension, right? But my friend, he says that we, when we do that, we tend to miss what's going on in the story because the text of Scripture doesn't actually give us psychological dimensions. So to kind of like try to put ourselves in his shoes too much is beside the point. But what's interesting to note here is that Abraham, he does. He takes Isaac with him. He takes all of the things that they're going to need for the burnt offering. And they go. And then he says to his servants that are with him, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there. What does he say? He says, the boy and I will go over there, worship, and come back to you. He doesn't say the boy and I are going to go there and then I'm going to come back. He says what? The boy and I are going to worship and are going to come back. That's important. That's important. We shouldn't overlook that. Right? The New Testament will talk about this and says that Abraham did this because he trusted and knew that even if Isaac were slain, God would still fulfill his promise. And we see this here just in this simple statement. Stay here. The boy and I will go over there, worship, and come again to you. This expectation that even though he's about to do this, that God will still honor his promise to him. And so we know the story. We just heard it read. Isaac bears the wood, right? And they start to go to the place. And then when they get there, well, there's also like these parallels, right, of Isaac, you know, carrying the wood on his back. And we have this imagery of, you know, Christ bearing the cross. There's some very clear Christological parallels here in this text. And Isaac says, here's the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? And what does Abraham say? God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And this is one of the beautiful parts of the story, is that God ultimately does provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. God will provide the lamb who St. John the Baptist says, takes away the sin of the world. They go to the place where God tells them, they build the ark. Isaac lays out his, it reaches his hand, he takes the knife, and the Lord stops him and says, don't do this. Don't do this. Abraham passed the test. Not in the sense of passing the test and he made the right answer. Or he checked the right box. Or when he had to circle between A, B, and C, or D, he circled in C because that was the correct answer. Not that kind of test. What we see here is this progression in Abraham's life. From this place of faith, but also doubt, 
this place of faith, but also struggling to believe what God has promised him. And we see in, in this story, the, basically the end of his journey, because after this happens, we then get into uh, the death of Sarah, and then um, uh, Abraham sending out servants to find a wife for Isaac. This is, this is the summit of the story of Abraham. Everything is led up to this. And God says, I know now that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And they look and they see the ram. And just as Abraham said, God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. They see the ram in the thicket. And they offer it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham calls the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Such a beautiful story. One that's easily misinterpreted. And what's so beautiful about this story is that, like I said earlier, the Lord does provide. On the hill of Calvary, right, the mountain, right, where the, the cross is at, right, the Lord will provide the lamb. Just as Abraham does not withhold his only son, the son of the promise, so too God, God gives his only son, our Lord. Just as Abraham does not hold back, God even more does not hold back. God himself will provide the lamb, right? God himself is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God gives us everything. God gives us everything. And I think what that's supposed to do is help us in our own time of testing, in our own time of, of, of trial, in our own time of troubles. So I'm going to get very personal, okay, for a minute. As I read this story, and I think about this, this concept of God testing, or allowing us to be tested, or sending testing, as refinement, I couldn't help but think about my experience last year with the death of my dad, last, this last August. Now, I'm not a narcissist, right? <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, God took my dad, or caused my dad to die in order to test me, right? That's, that's nonsense. But as I was thinking and praying through this text, I understood that there was an aspect to my participation in that situation that did test me. And since he's passed, I can't speak towards his experience, but I, I can't speak about how I experienced a test in the middle of that. And so the test for me was a little bit different, right? So I was for many years formed in a Christian tradition that emphasized what's called the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as St. Paul lays out in 1 Corinthians um, 12, uh, 14, and 15. And also, he references them as well in, in, in Romans. I think it's chapter 12. I could be wrong. But it's called the charismatic Pentecostal tradition. And this isn't a knock on them. It just, this is important context, okay? So in the particular wing that I was, had most experience in, there's this idea that God 
that, well, it's not a non-biblical idea, is that God heals through prayer. It's something that all Christians agree with. We all agree with it. We all know that God can and does heal through prayer. That's why we do it. Because God is good, God is gracious. When many of you here at the church have been sick, some of you have come to me privately. Sometimes I've, I've noticed or heard and, and have called, called you privately and anointed you with oil because the scriptures tell us to do that. But in this tradition, the expectation is, is that it is always God's will to heal. Always. It is always God's will. The problem that immediately arises is, well then why don't some people get healed when they're prayed for? That's like a really basic question. If it's always God's will to heal, why don't they get healed? And there's, there's some really bad theology that tries to explain that that's saying they didn't believe hard enough. Or they just didn't have enough faith. Or a little bit more sophisticated is, well, they did get healed, but when they died, that's their ultimate healing because they're with Christ. Right? That's actually a little bit more believable, right, than the other one. And it's actually fairly biblical. This other one didn't have enough faith. They just didn't believe hard enough. So I had been out of that world for a very long time now. But I also know, because I spent so many years in it, that there's still that little bit inside, right? There's always going to be that little bit of nugget, that little bit of kernel like, of, 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 this, of this idea that when my dad was suffering, I was like, we prayed for him. My mom prayed for him. Like, why didn't he get healed, right? Why didn't he get healed? It, life, people suffering, puts theology like that to the test. And there's something about experience. Like we can, we can theologize about suffering. We can come up with different ideas about suffering and finding meaning in suffering. But it's really, there's, there's no substitute until you actually undergo suffering or watching someone you love suffer. Because he died, he died in pain. In pain. And then after he was resuscitated, they were able to intubate him and, and put him on pain medication. And so when I was in that situation, the biggest thing that I thought about, that I struggled with in these moments is, my God, my dad was a minister for 50 years, over 50 years. He didn't deserve that. And that was a test for me. That was a test for me. My dad was faithful for many, 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 many years. He didn't deserve that. And so for me... I start to think, well, do I really believe this stuff? Right? Is the hope we have in Christ real? And I don't think that it sunk in until I, we heard what Ellen read from Romans this morning. Right? Part of me, through that, that, that experience, was like, yes, this is real. I do believe this. But as Ellen was reading from Romans 8 this morning, something something moved me, even though I've heard this text read over and over and over again. Just something sunk down on the inside of me. Where, where St. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, right? All of these, which are tests, by the way, 
that he's going through. And he asks this question, in light of all of these tests, can anything separate us from the love of Christ that we've experienced? And he says in verse 37, no, in all these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? That means through Christ, all of the testing that, we've go, that we go through, all the refining fire that we go through, God is with us. We are more than conquerors. And then he says, death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present or the future or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from that love. Whatever tests we undergo, whatever we go through, whatever sifts us like sand, whatever refines out refines what is impure in us through the fire. God is with us. He will lead us through it. Because the goal is, will we trust Him? Will we hope in Him? Will we, will we trust that, that God will use this to bring about something that's good? Even if we don't know, even if we can't guess what that good will be, where the, God will bring good from it for us and for others. And the hope that, that, that God is with us, that we are more than conquerors, that he will never leave us. And we need to learn to have our eyes open so that when our own moment of testing comes in time of hardship, we will not forsake our God, that we will, that we will not lay aside our faith. Because ultimately, everything we have is God's good gift to us. And if it is a gift then we can give it back to him. And we can do so without anger or fear or trepidation. But we can offer what God has given, given us back to him in hope. Hope that he will bring hope to the hopeless places. Hope that he will keep his promises. And hope that what we've gone through will lead to a richer and a deeper and a more mature faith in him. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast for Zion Stone Church. I'm Reverend Mike Lanthman, and I'd like to extend to you an invitation, if you're ever in our area, to please worship with us Sunday mornings at 1015. If you'd like to get a hold of me, or would like some information about the church, or just have some questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page or via email. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.